really like plop open to that. But until then, um, as you're turning, for those of you that don't know me, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Abby Fernandez, and I'm so excited to walk through Second Peter with you all this year, and especially verses 3 and 4 with you this morning. So hopefully you're there. If not, keep turning and you'll get there. <laughs> Let's read verses 3 and 4 together. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that your word that we hold in our hands, thank you for it. I pray that we never get over the fact that we are actually holding the very breath of God every time we pick up our Bible. So this morning, I pray that you would breathe that breath of life into our hearts and into our minds. I pray that you would grant us the understanding that only your Holy Spirit can bring. And I pray that you would take over my mind and my mouth and that you would only speak the words that you desire. Nothing I could ever say would change anything, but everything you say by the Holy Spirit changes everything. So, Lord, we give you this morning. I pray that you are glorified in the name and blood of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. So we learned in our homework already that Peter was writing to the exiled Christians who had been dispersed across the land because of the emperor Nero. Now, these are very real people, just like us, who had hopes and dreams and careers and homes to manage and a future they were planning for. But they were trying to just glorify God wherever God had placed them and for whatever purposes that God had created them. And it's so important for us to remember that these early believers were real people because when we remember this, it's going to make Scripture so much more real to us. Now, the majority of theologians through the years believe that Peter was writing primarily to Jewish Christians. And what this means are these were people who were practicing in the Jewish faith that have become followers of Jesus Christ and his teachings. But you know what? Even if that's not true and he's writing to Gentiles, regardless of who his audience is, he is writing to people who have spent their whole lives for generations having to interact with God at arm's length. And now in 2 Peter, he is telling these same believers that God's divine power has given them everything they need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called them by his own glory and excellence. And this is a game changer for these believers who are no longer dependent upon the high priest certain festivals, their family background, or even their gender to determine how close and how often they could interact with God. So two weeks ago, my husband and I had this amazing blessing to take our little family to Disney World. Now, I'm 37, and I had never been to Disney World, so we were all, like, super pumped and excited. So my big kids are 9 and 10, and they were the perfect age to just have fun. They wrote everything. We had a great time. The two-year-old was absolutely petrified of everything and everybody. Like, the only thing he liked was the Dumbo ride. And, I mean, we're like, we can only ride Dumbo so much, you know. So 
like, you know, we're on our way to Magic Kingdom on the monorail, and I get him out of the stroller, you know, trying to be the good mom, make sure that everybody has a magical experience, and can see he's outside the window, and he turns to me, and he grabs my face like this, and he says, I done. I go home now, and I'm like, oh, buddy, (laughs) it's going to be a long day for you, Um, but for the three-year-old, for the three-year-old, it was magic. Everything was real, everything was the best thing ever, and everything was her favorite. On day one at Epcot, all her little dreams came true. And we walked by the country, Norway, and she got to meet Anna and Elsa. Look at this. I mean, y'all, it was magic. And I don't know if it was because it was September and there was nobody there. They do this for everybody. But they got down on her level, and they talked for what like seemed like forever. I mean, it was amazing. And uh, the problem was that ever since this experience, she now thinks she is best friends forever with Anna and Elsa. So much so that at the Magic Kingdom the next day when the parade comes through, as soon as she sees them on their float, she jumps up and is like, Anna, Elsa, it's me, it's Becca. And like Elizabeth, my oldest and I are like, we're trying not to like just die laughing at her. But I mean, she did not understand why they did not stop that parade and they did not get down off their floats and give her a hug. I mean, they are best friends right now. I know you're probably like, wow, what does Disney World have to do with Second Peter? I promise there's a connection, and here it is. We can take these verses that we read this week for granted because we've always had access to God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.16 that whenever we want it, we can enter the throne room of Jesus and talk to him. With confidence. But for these Jews, the original recipients of this letter, when we remind ourselves of the context in which it was written, these early believers were like my sweet Becca on the sidelines. They've only ever been able to experience from a distance the one that they worship. And when we understand this background and we remember that this was a real letter written to real people just like us, these two verses of Scripture are going to take on a much greater and deeper meaning, meaning their whole life has changed. Peter's now saying you can interact now with the one that you worship. So such grace. I pray that as we think about these things, it causes us to look at Scripture and just once again marvel at the gospel and the gift of Jesus' finished work on the cross that allows us access to God himself at any moment and at any time. Such grace. So with all this in mind, there are a few things I would like us to see from 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 this morning. First, we see God's gifts. Look back with me at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So the first thing that we see God giving to his children in this passage of scripture is power and sufficiency. And isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't tell us that he will give us everything we need for life and godliness? No, the scripture is telling us that God has given us already everything we need. This is not some future present that we can earn once we do enough good things or make enough right choices. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, his divine power is made available to us immediately, which gives us then everything we need to live the godly life that God desires. And this truth is so beautiful because this gift is not dependent upon the worthiness of the recipient. 
on us. It is 100% dependent upon the power and the sufficiency of the giver. And this is amazing. So Louis Giglio is a pastor in Atlanta, and he said it much better than me. He was actually talking about the book of Acts, but it applied so well to this passage of Scripture this morning. He said, God wants us to live lives that are full of power. That is the mark of the Christian and the church. The enemy is always trying to dumb down the expectation that God has for our lives. What the enemy says to you is that your life just needs to be fun, or your life just needs to be fulfilled, or your life just needs to be survival, or whatever. No, God is saying that you too can live a life that is filled with the power of God. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where you are from, what your station in life is, what your story is, what your past is, what your weaknesses are, or what your struggles are, or what your situation is. It is not contingent on us to become powerful. God wants to be powerful in you and in me. And the more I thought about this passage of scripture, I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, when it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. And then you skip down a few lines and Paul concludes, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we don't have to manufacture what we need to live a godly life that pleases the Lord. We don't have to wait until we're strong enough or faithful enough or trusting enough or religious enough. God is standing before us this morning saying, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses today. The truth is that in God's economy, we will never be strong in him until we realize that apart from him, we are actually nothing. Our weaknesses provide the perfect opportunity for God to display his indescribably great power to the world. It is only through the grace and gift of God because of his amazing righteousness and Christ's finished work on the cross that you have already been given at the moment of salvation everything you need to live for him. We can't manufacture godliness on our own, so we need to just stop trying and receive these gifts of God's transforming grace and sufficiency in our life. Excuse me. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 tells us, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So cease striving, rest, and just know that he is God and we are not. Praise the Lord. So next we see that 2 Peter 1.3 teaches us that God grants us the gift of sufficiency actually through his next gift. And that is the gift of knowing him and entering into relationship with him. Verse 3 again, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, I did a little word study of the word knowledge in this passage. And the word knowledge in this verse is actually not describing a casual acquaintance or just knowing about Jesus. It's from the Greek, Greek word epignosis, which means full discernment or acknowledgement. This distinction in the wording means that Peter is trying to teach us that we have to move beyond just knowing about God and his son Jesus to knowing him personally 
as we would know a friend. We see this in John 17, 3, when it says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. A life empowered with everything we need to live a God for God and eternal life all comes through knowing God and his son. Now, we're going to learn over and over and over this year in this study that knowing God is the key. The problem is that when we're not focusing our mind on what we know to be true about our all-sufficient God, we'll begin to spin our wheels and start searching for knowledge everywhere else but God. We may fill our schedules to distract us. We may grow addicted to affirmation or social media. We make sure that our lives are noisy just enough so that we don't have to think truly about things. And we might even actually try to increase in the knowledge of ourselves and what we feel like we truly need. But all of this is going to come to no avail. We must grow in our knowledge of God because it is through our knowing God and trusting what we know to be true about our God that we begin to experience his sufficiency for everything we need for life and godliness. And God has given us everything we need to grow in our knowledge of him, but we have to avail ourselves to it. It's a gift we have to choose to receive, but it's also a gift we have to choose to receive daily. Even the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, not that I've already attained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. So the way I look at it is if Paul needed to do it, then we need to do it, right? And so naturally, this should all cause us to ask ourselves, how do you grow in the knowledge of God? Well, thanks for asking. So the first thing we're going to do is you grow in the knowledge of God through his word. John 5.39, Jesus teaches that the scriptures actually testify about him. And then in 2 Timothy 3.15-17, through 17, It reads, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And we all know this part. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or women of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. God's Word is made available to us, and we have the amazing privilege to read it, study it, know it, and apply it. When we sit down, let's remember we're not reading a reference book or an archaic document. It's not a thing to check off because that's what, you know, the good girls do. No, when we open our Bibles, we're breathing in the very breath of God. We're listening to the creator of the universe teach us what he wants us to know about himself and his creation. We're not left to wonder what his thoughts and passions are. He tells us we just have to open the book and read it. We also grow in our knowledge of God through prayer. In Ephesians 1, we can read a heartfelt and personal prayer of Paul towards the Ephesians church, and he prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, I'll never forget the smile on my grandmother Kirkland's face whenever I would sit down and ask her to tell me stories of her childhood. 
She loved to share those stories with me and teach me more about who she is. How much more so our Heavenly Father when we pray and we ask him to reveal his character to us and teach us who he is and what he loves. See, when we pray, when we pray, we're actually tuning in our eyes and our heart to see God move. Now, for those of you who went through the Meeting God in the Wilderness study with me a couple years ago, you've already heard the story, so just like bear with me. But as I was trying to come up with a practical example of what this looks like practically in our lives, this experience kept coming to mind. So Joe and I have been married for approximately a year and a half, and he was entering into the final stages of becoming a Chick-fil-A owner. And what that meant is we basically had to travel around to different stores throughout the southeast, and he would run them for usually two or three months until Chick-fil-A corporate found, like, a permanent owner for that store. So our first assignment was in Jasper, Alabama, and we had less than a week to pack up whatever we could fit into our two cars and live off of for the next two months. And we didn't cancel our lease because we didn't know if we'd have another assignment. But to be honest, we just didn't have the money, and that was expensive. So... Uh, a few weeks into our assignment, I am working on our budget, and I realize this is not going to work. And even though we were living extremely frugally, we didn't understand that when Joe started this part of the training, he would no longer get paid overtime, even though he was working a lot of overtime. And I had quit my job to move with him because we felt like it was just more beneficial for us to be together and that God would honor that decision. And we also didn't know at that time that I was helping him a lot in the store and that he could pay me. So all that put together, we were just kind of like, it was just not going to work. And I can still remember that moment as if it was yesterday. And I like just fell down on the carpet of that like nasty little corporate apartment. And I was just like, Lord, you have got to come through because we have nothing and we have no hope. But I am praying that you come through in a way that only you can get the glory. That sounded spiritual, right? So um, two, two days later, my dad calls, and he's like, so I'm standing outside your apartment building in Georgia, and it's on fire, and the fire has reached the attic, so the firefighters have said, just expect to lose everything. So I hung up, and I did what every really super spiritual person would do in that instance, and I collapsed into a heap on the floor and started crying uncontrollably. And then, like, after a while, and I kind of pulled myself together, and I thought, wow, this is, like, really something I should be praying about. So I started to pray, and I couldn't come up with anything to pray, so I was just like, Lord, just hold up my ceiling. Just hold up my ceiling. And so we drove home the next day, and when we walked, we were on the third floor, and when we walked past our next-door neighbor's apartment, it looked like the bottom of a bonfire. Like, it was all ash, no ceiling, no wall, nothing. So I'm like... I'm a little bit dramatic, and so um, it wasn't as calm. I wasn't as calm as I'm portraying, so I'm just like, honesty here, I was kind of freaking out. So we get to our door, and it's ajar, and we walk in as the fire marshal's walking out. And y'all, nothing had changed in my apartment. There were a few skylights from where the firefighters, like, you know, poked holes in the ceiling to put out the fire. Besides that, there was actually even a roll of paper towels still sitting on the kitchen counter against the shared wall of the burned-out apartment. So the fire marshal begins to tell us, you know, it's the craziest thing. The only thing that was separating your apartment from the apartment next to you was this line of heat-treated sheetrock. But it was never designed to hold that size fire. But it held until the firefighters got the fire under control. And as soon as they did, it fell. And I was like, that is not crazy. I prayed that God would hold up my ceiling, and he did. 
And um, so remember how we had no money to pay our bills, and I had asked the Lord to come through in a way that only he could get the glory? Because I had sought the Lord in prayer, I was able to see his hand of blessing in our lives in what, let's be honest, felt like a catastrophe. I mean, no one in their right mind would pray to go through a fire. And ever since then, Joe's like, please pray a little more specifically when you pray. And I'm like, I'm working on that. But when it was all said and done, the apartment complex canceled our lease. Obviously, we didn't have a place to live. With no penalty, there was no more rent payments. There was no more utility payments. So all of those expenses were now gone. The insurance company paid to not only move our stuff, but to store everything that was left until we got our permanent assignment here in North Carolina. We actually came out ahead by almost $2,000 and hardly lost a thing. Now, God answered my prayer exactly like I prayed. He provided in a way that only he could get the glory. And because I had prayed, and this is the point, I was able to notice God's hand in answering that prayer specifically. It was no longer about a fire to me. It was about God providing perfectly when we needed it, what we needed. And I was watching for God move because I had been praying for God to move. And when circumstances come into our lives, unless we were really looking with spiritually in-tuned eyes, so many times we can actually miss what God is doing in his hand that is at work. But when we notice, we grow in our knowledge of God through our experiences with God. When we learn about his character by witnessing firsthand in our circumstances, wow, God all of a sudden becomes a lot more than words on a page. Now, let's just say, I'm not saying that God would have been unkind or any less sovereign if we lost everything, and God is not at all required to answer our prayers with a yes. But what I am saying is that if we are seeking the Lord in prayer, we are opening our eyes to watch for his invisible but very real and powerful hand at work in our lives. So, like I said, this experience greatly increased my knowledge of God. So let's do that through prayer. Finally, we grow in the knowledge of God through the community of God's people and his church. So by sitting in this chair today, you have decided to come and be in community with people who are speaking words of life over you. So good job. You are all doing this. Um, I was reminded in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it kind of teaches us this principle in a different way. It says, he, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, here you go, until you reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we grow in the knowledge of God when the body of Jesus Christ, the church, is allowed to do what it was designed to do. Finally, 2 Peter 1, 3-4 teaches us that God gives us the gift of his promises. Look back with me at verse 4 this time. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So I did another word study on the word promise in this passage of Scripture, and I am going to butcher this like crazy, but I'm telling you it is worth it. It is the Greek word epagoma. That's not it. I should have asked somebody. But it's important because what it means, what that word means, is promises that are voluntarily made. 
And this is amazing because what this means is that these promises were made to us in spite of us. That God voluntarily made them to us before we had ever hopes, any hope of being worthy. And God based these promises on his glory and virtue, not ours. And therefore, they are 100% reliable because he is 100% excellent and holy. And these are not just promises. They are precious promises. Peter uses the word precious three times in 1 Peter 1.7 when talking about a tried faith. In 1 Peter 1.19 when talking about the blood of Christ. And in 2 Peter 1.4 when talking about God's promises. This week in our homework, we spent some time looking over some of the promises of God that is available to us that's found in Scripture. Our children's leaders are teaching our children the promises of God every week that are true and reliable. And Scripture teaches us that God is incapable of lying And therefore, we can trust his promises to be true and unchanging. And for moms, as y'all may want this passage of scripture, just throwing it out there to teach that to your children, it's Hebrews 6, 18 and Malachi 3, 6 that teaches us about the God incapable of lying and that he is unchanging. So why does God get us all these things? I think it is because, as Peter warns his readers and us as well later on in the book, that he wants, to, he wants to lay the foundation. That the knowledge of God and belief in God will keep our feet from slipping. And our heart from being deceived or from following false teaching. Because when we have our eyes fixed on the truth, it becomes very obvious when we start seeing lies. We have to avail ourselves to the promises of God and really start getting to know God We don't have to sit on the sidelines anymore. We're not on the side of the parade route. We have full access to the one we worship. Now, Joe and I have now been married for 13 and a half years. And when we first got married, I was like going to be the best housekeeper ever. Now my philosophy is kind of like, hmm, (laughs) we'll play survival of the fittest with the dust bunnies and see who makes it the longest. So, but back then, I would exhaust myself to make the house perfect. Not that Joe ever asked it of me or really expected it. He always appreciated it, but no matter how much scrubbing I would do, he would come home and just like run that little sweeper back on the floor. And I'm like, like, does he not even notice? I'm thinking, okay, but you know, he didn't say anything. He just sweet. It was very sweet. So finally one day I sat him down and I'm like, can you just, can you tell me like what's important to you about our house? And he immediately said, clean floors. I don't like stepping on things like crumbs and I don't like stepping over things. And I'm like, light bulb went off. And I thought, this is amazing because I always have five minutes to run the sweeper back over the floor. And when we have those crazy days or those crazy weeks and I don't have time to clean the house, if the floors are clean, Joe thinks I'm amazing at it. <laughs> and I experienced so much freedom when I just took time to get to know my husband. And we can do this spiritually. We establish all these requirements that we think God wants of us. And we work ourselves to exhaustion trying to do all the right things and make all the right choices. But this is not necessarily a religion that honors Christ. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know what he desires, to know what he loves, and to love those things. And great freedom will become ours when we truly know the Lord 
and then walk out that knowledge. And God has given us full access to grow in our knowledge of him. He has given us his very great and precious promises to direct our steps, to empower us to follow him. We just need to receive and believe the gifts from our Father. So one reason the promises of God are precious is because they allow us to answer his call over our life. And that is the call to become partakers or participants of his divine nature. Look back with me at our verse again. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in his divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So how does God's promises allow us to be participators of his divine nature? The first way is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, Jesus is speaking and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, every believer who accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord or Savior, according to the the scriptures, receives the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit does a few things for us. First, the Holy Spirit is our helper, who teaches us the things of God and grants us understanding as we read God's word. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 2.10. The Holy Spirit will bring to mind the things we have learned about God when we need it. That's John 14.26. And finally, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us through all truth. And that's John 16.13. We also can become participants, participants in God's divine nature when we choose to live out Ephesians 4, 22 through 23, which says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Which leads us to our final observation that when we choose to actively participate in God's divine nature through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit and by putting off the old and putting on the new, then we are automatically going to answer his call to escape. And that is to escape the corruption of the world. When you spend time growing to know someone more deeply and growing in your love and knowledge of that person, your heart will begin to change. You desire to please them and to honor them with your actions and your thoughts. And this is exactly what happens to us as we become partakers of God's divine nature. The sins that used to entice us and have a hold on us all of a sudden are no longer all that appealing. And it allows us to escape. So, major takeaways. First, do you know the Lord? Have you come to a point in your life where you've acknowledged that you are a sinner and there's no hope for you of ever coming to God himself apart from accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you can be saved? Scripture teaches us over and over and over that all of our good works, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags to Jesus. They amount to nothing. That the only way to God is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. If you've never come to that decision, I will stand up here for a few minutes. Please come talk to me. I would love to chat with you more about that. 
However, once we can answer that, we do know God personally. Let's commit, as Paul encouraged us to, to consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And press on daily through reading his word, praying, meeting together with the body of Christ on a regular basis. You know, let's be honest. Some of us may not have a desire to do those things. Pray. Tell the Lord and ask the Lord to change your heart. That is definitely a prayer that he will answer. Seek his face and persevere in obedience and the feelings will follow. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we, we don't stand on the sidelines anymore, that we have full access to you. What a gift. I pray that we never get over. Lord, I pray that you would help us put death to the flesh and wake up our spirits to pursue you with all that we have. And Lord, I thank you that when we pursue you, the Bible tells us that when we seek you, we will find you when we seek you with all of our heart. So Lord, grant us the energy and the perseverance and the desire to do that, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we go out from here. May we be the living, breathing gospel of Jesus Christ to those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.